Welcome to episode 14 of the Variable Podcast. This is your host, John Bragle, and this week we have the opportunity to hear from cinematographer Benjamin Loeb on the topic of losing ourselves to our work. Leading up to this podcast, Ben and I talked at length about topics that we thought would add the most value to the filmmaking community, as well as topics that both he and I have in common. If you listen to episode one of the Variable Podcast, you'll know that losing yourself to your work is no unfamiliar concept to me personally. So check that out if you're interested to learn a little bit about where my perspective comes into the story. Ben shares so much from the heart in this conversation, and I'll have to say it's been one of the most enjoyable conversations that I've had in this podcast yet, largely for his vulnerability and how much he gets into detail about how particular events in his life have impacted him throughout his career, and then how he's been able to pause and connect the dots and make a lot of sense and good choices moving forward into his life and his career moving forward. So I felt like I was fortunate to really connect with Ben at a point where he is taking this time to himself to grow and uh, just become a better human, a better filmmaker, and uh, just a better overall person. That's a good way to put it. But uh, anyway... Um, I guess the last thing I'll say is that this podcast episode was recorded live in the Variable community, so members can have a chance to ask questions and connect with our guests after uh, our initial conversation. Uh, in addition to guest Q&As, we do weekly interactive events and conversations on topics that rest at the intersection of wellness and filmmaking. This past month, we've had discussions about navigating the unknown ADHD, setting boundaries, alcohol consumption, fitness, along with our monthly wellness accountability calls. All in all, it's just an amazing group of filmmakers. So if any of this resonates, check us out via the free trial link at wearevariable.com. For now, I'm going to transition to my conversation with Ben in just a second. Enjoy. Ben and I, we met back in 2012 in New York City and, um, We've been loosely in touch over the years. We last time we worked together, I was doing second unit on a 14-day cruise job with Ben, which was a whole probably podcast in and of itself. More recently, we've connected about just shared struggles uh, as filmmakers and just trying to make sense of the journey and um, putting our best foot forward into the next chapter. For those of you that are unfamiliar with Ben's work, he's shot. A few features that I'm sure you all have heard of, Mandy, Pieces of a Woman, After Yang. And then also Ben does a lot of commercial work too. Uh, you're a member of FNF, which honestly, I don't even know what that means. Maybe you could tell us what that means. I probably should have known It's the Norwegian equivalent of the ASC. So for this conversation, we're going to, we'll dive into Ben's journey into commercial and narrative filmmaking, uh, what it was like on a personal level what his current relationship to filmmaking is like. And then um, we'll touch a bit on Ben's thoughts and hopes for his personal life and relationship to filmmaking going forward. I guess, uh, yeah, on the topic of losing ourselves, why don't we start with knowing ourselves? Do you feel like before you got into filmmaking, you knew yourself or was your relationship to yourself more of a, a feeling? I don't think like, and I, I've only really spent um, the last decade really thinking of this. I, I'm 35 now, so I'd say like 
growing up, I was such an emotional child. Um, I was always wearing my emotions on the outside. And I remember specifically through family struggles, I would always end up like bawling in front of everybody. Um, and really early on in my life, I decided to make this conscious choice of like not showing vulnerability, um, or not showing that I would, that my feelings were hurt in front of other, other people. So this idea of the self or this idea of like even feeling myself, I think I lost as a child. Like, I think I started as like a seven year old or even five year old putting these like protective layers on top of myself. And it wasn't, honestly, I don't think it was until maybe 2014 or 2015 that this idea of self even, even came back to me. Like maybe when I, when I left Norway for university, I went, I went to an art school in Vancouver. That's maybe the first time as an adult where I sort of re, I reallocated this idea of self, but I never, I didn't really find it then. Or how old were you when you stopped allowing yourself to act out emotionally? Probably seven or eight. Was it just like something that you became self-conscious of? Like, this is not a good thing? Or was there like a set of circumstances that made you just kind of close down? The, the the sort of short the short version of this is my my parents split up when I was five and my mother relocated me and my brothers and her to Latvia. Yeah. We used to live in Norway. So it was a country where I didn't speak the language, I didn't really have any friends. Um and I was sort of put into something that I was that was very unfamiliar to me. Um and she started um seeing a, a man and eventually became my stepfather. He was a person who would always lecture you about your mistakes and about your your shortcomings as a, as a human being. And to the point where I wouldn't be able to hide my emotions in those like family scenarios, I would just always start crying. Um, and this did like when we moved back home to Norway as a, when I was seven, I, I started in second grade. So I was kind of the, kind of the odd one out, um, starting a year after everybody else. And it was, I remember it was a struggle for me to even find a spot where I fit in being an emotional kid. I would always, I would always be pushed sort of over the edge. Like from that moment, I think instead of letting myself get to that point, I would sort of swallow my emotions and slowly start to essentially um, suppress them to the point where I think, you know, I woke up as like a 20 something year old man realizing that I couldn't feel anything essentially. What do you think made you come to realize that in your 20s? There are many things. I had uh, my f my first relationship was a relationship that I was in from 14 to 22. I got divorced for the first time. So my idea of family or the idea of um, at least my own construct of, of family that I had sort of tried to manufacture for myself. And I use the word manufacture because I don't think all of it was real. I think I had ideas of how to create something that was much better than I had. And I forcefully sort of put that together in some way. But I think that for the first time I, I got divorced uh, as a 22-year-old was the first time I sort of woke up. Yeah, you mentioned creating something that was much better than you had. Can you can you unpack that a little bit? This is probably something that most people go through when they have uh, family scenarios or settings that aren't necessarily ideal. And like I still come from a very privileged place, so it's 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 difficult to talk about it as trauma. But it is like it's something where I didn't realize that what my, that what my childhood put me through was the form of my own trauma until I was in my 30s. Like that's the first time I even admitted that to myself. So this idea 
you know, as a as a young kid, I'm the oldest of five siblings. Um, there's an immense um, responsibility put on my shoulders as a very young child. Um, and I think both my parents on each side had their own sort of psychological or emotional problems to deal with where, you know, me and my brothers were quite mature in a sense and in many ways started becoming our own parents or taking care of ourselves in different ways. And I just wanted to make sure that whatever I did throughout my career or my life, I wanted to make sure that I created an anchor and a family for myself that was much better than what I had. I want to jump back a little bit to um, when you talked about just like being younger and suppressing those feelings. I'm curious about the link between that and when you discovered film. You know, what was it about film that really appealed to you on both like creative but also personal levels? I, I think, again, it goes back to this idea of trying to find a place where you fit in. And I remember I wasn't like I tried everything in terms of sports um, or hobbies, and there was nothing that really felt there's nothing that felt natural or effortless. Like I, f I felt like I was always looking for the easy way out as a kid, something that I could do that didn't require a ton of work. And I think it was during high school, I sort of started dabbling in, in film. We did some media courses and it was the first time where I felt like this is something that I really understand. It felt natural. It felt like I, I don't know, I could, I could express something that I wasn't able to express with words. Um, and I wasn't necessarily very good with words. So it's, I think that's the, that, that was the first time where I felt like I had something that made me feel like I not necessarily even belonged someplace, but I had some kind of purpose beyond what I'd been doing up until that point. And when you say um, like trying to find a place where you fit in, when did you actually start to see filmmaking that way? Like when, when were you able to get that perspective that, uh, this, this is something you were engaged in because it, it gave you the ability to feel like you fit in. It was during high school. Like it was yeah. during those sessions. Like I, again, this idea of coming together with, with more, you know, more than, you know, you're two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people coming together, trying to create one singular product of some sorts. And it was that it was the social aspect. It was the aspect of like actually creating something. Yeah. Um, not necessarily that any of the stuff that we made at that point sort of ticked any boxes taste-wise. I don't think my taste even existed then, but it was really, a, it was a social thing more than anything. So take us through maybe the, the kind of like the first three years after you discovered film. What was that experience like for you? Like number one, when I finished high school, I wanted to, I wanted to escape Scandinavia. I wanted to get out. Um, and, and essentially put myself in a place where I could sort of quote unquote reinvent myself. I, I tried really hard, but I ended up staying back in Norway for a year and I did a, a year technical school. And my intention was to, um, start editing. And after a couple months, I realized that it just felt like I couldn't, I was being given material and footage from other people that were nothing really made sense to me. Um, yeah. it didn't feel like anything me saying this, like I was a kid who didn't feel a whole ton anyway. So this idea that I would have some kind of resonance or some kind of feeling towards imagery made it feel all the more important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started shooting again, tiny little short films, whatever. And as soon as that year finished, I, I bailed on that and moved to Vancouver. Um, mm -hmm. and it was kind of during, I spent four years at this art school called Emily Carr University of Art and Design. Um, and it was really there where I felt like 
this idea of film solidified in my mind as like this is what I have to do. And it wasn't because of myself. I'm I, I ended up in in a class where I met two of my closest collaborators who essentially were much further along and much more mature than I was. I didn't again like I I really didn't have taste. I had sort of like the know how of like I I had some kind of thing where I could figure out imagery and language a little bit. Um, but they shaped me and those four years changed me as a human being because number one, it was the first time where I did discover my myself as a human being. Like I moved to a new place where I could essentially be a person that I, I hadn't constructed at home in some way. So those those four years kind of changed my entire prospect of who I was. Those two people are Kevin Funk and another uh, filmmaker named Kent Tsui. How did those meeting those two collaborators in film school impact your trajectory or just how maybe how you saw yourself as a as a cinematographer i guess as like as a as a collaborator you're always just looking for someone to latch onto that is willing to um give you or sort of feed you back with the energy that you're willing to put into a relationship um and again with kevin and ken it was just one of these feelings where I could throw as much energy as I wanted and it would always come back in form of a script or an idea or something. So it just felt like we were feeding off of each other. And it it became, those two relationships for me became much more important than the school or the program itself because in some way I didn't really need the program. I had these two other human beings who had the same type of ambition and and sort of desire to create stuff. And we just started making, we, start, we just started making movies. Was there a certain point in film school where you were like, this is exactly what I want to do for my career or for the rest of my life? I think it was immediately at Emily Carr. When Kevin and I started making our music videos, we would essentially have no money. Um, and he was very focused on this idea of creating something narrative out of something that didn't necessarily need to even have a script. So we'd find we'd find a song that we resonated or or liked and essentially try and come up with some kind of idea that could be you know, considered a short film if we put it to music. Um, and it was when him and I started to create those projects and it was literally just him and myself and maybe an assistant and a sound person. Um, I think that's when I started realizing like, if I, if I can work like this and this could be my job, there's nothing else I would really want to do. So when you graduate film school, you know, that's when you have to start thinking about making a living as a filmmaker. Uh, what were those few years after film school like uh, professionally? And then how did that impact you personally? It was different for me um, because I um, I sort of put together my school program in a way where I could buy myself two or three days off every week. And I, I've always sort of had like a very practical or lo logistics oriented mindset. So this idea of like, I wouldn't spend my free time doing nothing. I would always try to produce something or find money through grant applications or whatever. So throughout my like year two, three, and four at university, um, I already put together a decent enough portfolio that by year four, I was already working and I had small commercial offers in Vancouver. Um, so there was never really like a, Hey, I'm finished and now I have to go find work. There was like a, it just rolled over into I'm working. Um, and I felt very lucky for that. And I think a large portion of that was just the fact that we were coming up in, uh, in a version of the industry that wasn't oversaturated in the same way it is now. Um, yeah. and we made, 
you know, when, when I was shooting, I always made very conscious choices. Like I would never shoot on the 5D. I would always, I always had this philosophy. Like if, if, if I'm not willing to invest money in myself, then why should other people? So I would always somehow wiggle together a thousand dollars to go rent something. And I would always shoot on whatever I didn't have. Um, and I feel like it was a part of what separated probably both you guys when variable started and the way I started, I think feel like our tra trajectories were probably quite similar in that sense. What was unique about that specific time for, for anybody that's listening? Like what, what were those dates and what were those days like and what them, what made them unique to make a relatively quick rise in the industry as a filmmaker? It was easy. It was much easier to stand out. Like there wasn't, there wasn't a whole ton of like content out there that, that had language in that sense. Um, obviously people have been shooting for, on 35 and on film forever, but this was like just before even the first red came out. And again, like I, I think the fact that I had Kevin as one of my closest collaborators who was predominantly narrative, like we started making things in a way that started, I don't know, he had, he had language and he had a he had good taste. Um, I think I, I was lucky to sort of piggyback off of, off of him in some ways and vice versa. I also ended up investing in a bunch of lenses and kind of had like a certain look that I was trying to establish. And I think that set me apart a little bit, but it was just very different. Like it felt like a much smaller community. I feel like again, when, when we came up, it was kind of like, I don't know, everybody sort of knew of everybody in some weird way. And we'd always see each other's work and it was always kind of, we were pushing each other in a different way. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not to say that that doesn't exist now, but it's kind of been, it feels very different at least. Yeah. I remember those, those anamorphic lenses. I remember your reel, I think, uh, <laughs> I don't know how I saw it, but, um, I remember seeing it at that time, I hadn't seen somebody that had done so much anamorphic work that looked very naturalistic. I'd seen a lot of anamorphic stuff that was like very heightened visually and like Fincher-esque almost or something like that. But your stuff was almost like. Yeah, it was super naturalistic. That really <laughs> the funny thing is, that, and I don't know if you remember this, I was sitting at your office, and I think it was you and Khalid. We were looking at, we were looking at one of the la like the latest music videos I had done with Kevin, which was like a five hundred dollar music video. What? And I remember Khalid sitting to to the right or left of me, be like, "Hey Ben, that shot, how'd you do that?" I'm like, "I didn't do anything. Like I, <laughs> I had some black," and he's yeah. like, "Oh." <laughs> It was so it was so funny because every every time he asked like how I did something, I was like, I didn't I pointed the camera against the character who was sitting next to a window and it just that's the way it looked. Yeah. Yeah, well that's that's what makes your style stand out to me. It's always it's it's still to this day. I feel like it's it's very uh very simple in your approach. I mean, do you feel that way about your approach? I've always looked up to all these DPs who are able to create imagery where everything feels natural and effortless and to create something that feels natural and effort effortless and it still has like quote unquote this idea of beauty and beauty is a it's a it's the wrong word because it kind of makes it seem like we're looking for something different but to create something that feels natural and effortless is the hardest thing to do to light something stylistically is easy but to create something that feels real but constructed is super hard unless it is just real and observational but 
I started off that way with Kevin and then, you know, I ended up doing a bunch of commercials for a number of years and a bunch of movies. And I feel like even through that process, I even lost that portion of my taste. Like even the idea of like getting more money and more gear and more crew and all of a sudden, like people are expecting you to put shit everywhere and like, you need this, or you need that. And all of a sudden I was lighting in a different way. Mm -hmm. And then it changed, it changed even the way I feel it. Like the way I feel about it, a large chunk of my work from certain years feels different to me than before and after that moment. And what do you think changed? Was it mainly the budgets or what was it something that you were projecting onto yourself or? This was also a period of time where, you know, we'd sort of, at least in our group of people, we'd sort of all gotten to, you know, decent commercials and we were working with bigger clients and we were, you know, everybody was on social media and you could see what everybody was doing. And I think for a moment, I, I got lost in this idea of, of, of like trying to find trends or trying to create something that felt more visual than what my actual taste was. Um, and it was me trying to compensate for something in some way. It took me like four or five years to shake that. I think. Was there a specific project or experience where you kind of snapped out of that way of approaching things? I did a movie with Christopher Borgley like two years ago. Tiny, tiny Norwegian film with the smallest, tiniest crew. And it was the first time in, in very long where I felt like I was making a movie with my friends. It felt, it felt like the old days where you're just kind of hanging out with people you like and you're just creating stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was the first time in a long, in a long time where I really felt like it became not necessarily effortless again, but it felt really natural to me in terms of how in terms of how, how I process language within cinema or lighting or whatever it is. But that, that was the first time where I felt like I, I'd sort of found my way back to something very simple. Was it, I'm trying to understand, like, was it a sense of safety that you felt with the director to just be yourself or was he supportive of your ideas or how did that No, it was what the change was, it was. It was really just the fact that there was no money and there was, we had really specific constraints where it's like, you can't, like, I can't, even if I wanted to have an 80 foot condor or this or that, or the fly swatter or blah, blah, blah. Like it, there wasn't, there wasn't the budget, there wasn't the manpower, there wasn't anything. So it had to be simple. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like, again, like this is something that has sort of driven at least my ethos within filmmaking from the very beginning. And it's one of those few things that's really stuck around, at least in terms of how I appreciate, how I appreciate the sort of the working ethics within film. And I feel like anytime a director is comfortable enough to sort of put together, you know, a number of constraints or dogmas on something, I feel like it enhances the project and enhances the process of making something because you're focusing in on, you know, a singular element that's important rather than keeping everything open. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was one of those things where we had so many restraints and so many constrictions that it just felt, I just felt free. Yeah. It's like you, 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 I can't do this. I can't do that. You can't do like, okay, cool. I'll do this really well. Mm -hmm. How do you think you could hold on to that approach or at least that idea, like say going back into another bigger budget feature or bigger budget commercial that's kind of been my goal for the for the last couple of years is finding back to this place of just being comfortable being simple or comfortable not doing too much because um, mm -hmm. it's what I appreciated so much coming up in the industry. 
Um, and I was able to essentially, Chris, Chris and I did sick of myself two years ago. And then we did a movie called dream scenario last, last fall. Um, and it's not that we did the same thing, but I was able to follow it up and still keep that level of restraint in some way. Um, and again, it felt, it felt like the first project where I kind of brought that element that I'd been looking for so long into something that was much bigger than that. And it, for me, it worked like the movie isn't out yet. Um, but I had, um, I had an experience sort of just, um, creatively, um, that gave me, that gave me sort of confidence in the fact that I think, I think it's possible to keep doing it that way. So I want to go back a little bit to kind of like your initial ascent in your career and on this topic of just losing ourselves. Um, were there any specific like mental health or wellness or life related, let's call them red flags that occurred to you that sort of, that you sort of pushed to the side in the moment? And um, if so, uh, could you walk us through what some of those looked like for you? If I can, if I can frame this from the perspective of like my entire life goal has been to essentially construct a family that is sort of the picture perfect version of a family for myself. So this idea of, um, this idea of like the, the home or again, like where you as a, where you as a human being belong and who are those people that live with you has sort of been my priority my whole life. Um, and I remember even on the first, my first commercial I think I ever did was, um, I did a Pampers commercial with Jan Glaia in South Africa. And I remember this producer, Mark Stemmer had flown me over. Um, I think I was like 20, 23 or 24 or something like this. Um, and I remember the first thing he asked me was like, Ben, like he didn't know this was my first commercial, mm -hmm. uh, um, or one of the first And he essentially asked me like, Ben, how do you, like, how do you balance this with like a girlfriend and like family life being a DP, like it's really difficult. Um, and I remember kind of just like shoving it aside be like, this is no problem. Like I've, I've been in this industry a little bit and my, and my ego was pretty big at that point already where it's like, I can figure this out. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I take all the right steps. I'll bring my family here. Or I'll bring my girlfriend there and I'll include them in this and I'll make sure I make enough money that I can support everything. Um, and for me, that was kind of the biggest, like the beginning of what I would call me losing myself, not for the, like for the final time, but that was the, the, the moment where it began to sort of fall apart for me because in my attempt to construct the sort of perfect family for myself, I essentially started pushing away my own desires and my own needs, upkeeping a, upkeeping a, a life for the job of the DP on top of balancing family, like you don't really have, there's not really much more space. Like you don't have, you don't have time for that, that much else. Um, and I think for the, like from that moment, from the first commercial until probably six, seven years down the line, I completely neglected myself. And I didn't really wake up from that until maybe when I was like 28 and had a child. What was that like, that that first string of years? Like what were some of maybe more of the, the only phrase I can think of is like red flags that kind of like continued to pop up. But you, I imagine you were conscious of some of these things. There weren't, like I wouldn't say that there were any like 
super specific red flags. Like I, my, I, I felt like I was coasting. Like I felt like everything was totally fine and it really wasn't, you know, I would, I would just make sure I, I spent enough money on the people around me. I brought them with me. I always created this illusion of everything being fine or this illusion of inclusivity or being together, like togetherness was something that I manufactured pretty easily. Um, but there was never really like a, I feel like my, my red flags was like, a anytime I got to the point where my relationship was falling apart because of me not being present or me not actually existing in some ways, which sounds really harsh, but it's like at a certain point I dug myself so far into a loop where my own, my own, my own existence within the relationship or within the, the sort of construct of a family that I'd created wasn't real anymore. And I was sort of like realizing it. And mm -hmm. before I was able to let myself realize the relationship would be over, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. So how did you realize that you weren't present in the relationship? Because it sounds like that illusion, like you said, the illusion of togetherness was pretty strong. So what sort of snapped you out of that a little bit? Any single time I woke up would be when it was too late. Like I would always, I would realize that something wasn't right. Like in my, in my, in my first marriage, my, my first wife essentially slept with like three of my best friends or two of my best friends and the other person. It was, this had already happened before I sort of realized what had, what, what was wrong. The rhythm or the loop has kind of been like that. Like, I don't think, again, I've always said this in my own sort of talks about my work, but it's like, I don't think people learn from success. People learn from mistakes and sort of to, to the point of the quote that you sent me earlier, you sort of have to be like, I don't know what the exact wording was, but it was something along the lines, like you have to be humiliated as, as a human to be able to build yourself back up again. And that's kind of been my, that's kind of been my pattern where I will fall so hard and I'll realize that everything everything is wrong. Nothing is actually working. And everything that I thought was right and whatever I thought was good, isn't actually good. It's just something that I've created for myself. And it's only from that process where I feel like I've been able to sort of regrow myself as a new version of Ben and a better version of Ben, and then eventually become a better version of myself. And I, again, like even the way I talk about it now, I talk about Ben as a different, like, I remember, I remember, um, I've had this moment so many times where I look at and I look at a photograph of myself and this could be like, you know, four hours or a day or two days after something really like dramatic has happened, like mm -hmm. a girlfriend breaking up with me and I'll look at a photo of myself and I won't, I won't recognize that person. Like that person is foreign to me. And I think that there's this moment when you hit rock bottom and you, it's not that something changes immediately, but I think you sort of wake up, um, and every single time I've woken up, like I, I feel like the person that I was the day before doesn't really exist in my mind anymore. I mean, what do you think it is about filmmaking that makes it such a strong force to mask our emotional lives? I don't know. You sort of have to look at it, and this depends on what type of uh, filmmaker or artist you are. Um, I have such deep respect for the craft of filmmaking, and it's probably the only reason I'm still here like in the industry is like you have music and you have like performance art and you have film. Like those are three like genres or, or um, directions within art that like it truly has the, the, the ability to sort of transcend you as a human being into some other space, into some other like stratosphere of emotions or feelings. 
Mm-hmm. And sort of like I said before, is like I realized this maybe three or four years ago where like the reason the reason I've been making movies or making films this entire period is because I have this inability to communicate. And because my inability to communicate exists, I've sort of found an outlet through imagery, imagery in relationship to music, imagery with dialogue. All of a sudden, my work sort of speaks. And it's not to say that all work does that, but some of my work I can feel says something that I can't communicate myself. And from that moment on, like realizing that that's what it's doing for me. I've sort of been trying to backtrack, try to figure out how I can communicate in that way so that it's not just a, it's not a compensation, but it's a, does that make sense? Yeah, I'm trying to understand when you say inability to communicate, what does that actually mean to you? Because I've spent like a good solid chunk, like 20 years of my life, essentially protecting my own vulnerability and my own, my own, my own feelings and emotions. Like I haven't been able to be in touch with my emotions enough to be able to communicate them to other people. Like they're, they're so foreign to me that my, my brain and my body are disconnected. Like there's, there's nothing, there's nothing happening in between here that lets me access those feelings when I speak. Like I've been, I've, I've been, I've, I've gone to therapy for for a solid chunk of like 10 years now. The greatest work I've done in therapy is reconnecting my brain and my body. Because without that, like I have I have nothing. Like you become completely sort of I'm decapitated. Like there's no there's no link. It's been a very long process of trying to find access to these emotions that through through film I I am able to create certain things where I'm like, oh shit, like that makes me feel something and I know where it came from. Like that feeling was in my body somewhere, but I can't, I can't communicate those things with words. Or you're learning to communicate them with words. Yeah. This, I'll say like this, these last probably like five, five years have been like the most transformative, most incredible years of my life in some ways. I didn't realize that this was a problem I had until probably five years ago. Like I didn't realize, like I, I remember, I think by this entire process started with me, I was Elliot Rausch and I uh, were in Santiago, Chile in like 2014, and we'd created this little short film on the front end of a commercial that was about success and the idea of success. And I remember Elliot and I spent two or three or four hours on one of our off days walking through a mall and through Santiago, and we had this incredible conversation about um, purpose uh, it, our own existence, humanity. It was, it was so wildly massive in terms of content that it kind of blew my mind. It was the first time I'd met another human in the film industry who was more interested in human beings than the mm-hmm. process and the project itself. And it's like, it sparked something in me, but I wasn't able to do anything with it for the longest time. That's kind of been at least the way for me to sort of find a way out of this in some ways has been to try and reconnect, like reconnect this idea of humanity through process and film along with therapy. And that sort of slowly started to reconnect certain, certain elements, at least within my body. And I, I want to dive more into the mind body connection stuff. Cause I, that's very much where I am on my journey right now is delving into that, but I want to save it for a little bit. Cause I want to keep on, um, going back to what kept you pushing forward in your career, like despite, you know, all these different things that were popping up or insights or awareness that was kind of building, 
uh, what kept you pushing forward onto, I would say, bigger projects? I think this, if we're going back to this point, it's like, you know, you're on social media, you see what everybody's doing um, and you want validation. And 100%, that was a part of that. Like that was a part of my journey too. Like I wanted validation from filmmakers around me and and creatives that I looked up to. Um, and I always knew that I didn't have the sort of, I never had the technical bone or the desire to sort of stay within like camera gack or visual trick technicality realm, like in commercials. So I really early on wanted to get into features and the same thing, like it was, it started out as, um, a way for me to validate that I was good enough or I was strong enough or I, like I could, I could do something. That's how, like, that's what it felt like. I've had good experiences even early on. Like, it's not to say that all my experiences have been bad, Mm -hmm. um, but there has been really dark moments at all of them and there's been really good moments at all of them. It's really difficult when you're not actually present, not actually aware of what is hitting, like what's hitting you. Um, it's really difficult to find out or see or feel what's right or wrong and what's good for you or what's not good for you. And that was probably the the reason I quit social media in the first place. Like I, I just didn't want to be influenced by <laughs> anyone else. Like I kind of wanted to just follow my own path in some way. It's very, like, it's almost impossible. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really work, but that at least that gave me some kind of an excuse to sort of feel like I was doing things on my own a little bit. How would you describe like what it actually feels like to feel, I don't think lost is the best word. I think I'm just going to that because that's uh, like in the title of the event, but like, what does it feel like when you're in the midst of just like a really busy career and your other priorities are sort of like falling away like is there a way to actually articulate what that felt like yeah it feels like a midlife crisis it's like uh i've I've had a couple of those already it's like where you feel like everything you worked for makes no sense because you're losing everything else um your life keeps falling apart so there must be a reason like you're trying to find reasons for for your own failure from i was trying to find reasons for my own failures and I was always blaming work. And this became one of my, this became one of the, the, the hardest parts about, I'd say the last 10 years is in this attempt at, again, like finding out how to build the perfect family and the perfect home. Um, ask the question again. I completely okay. lost. Yeah. I was trying to get a sense of what it feels like when your career is moving at high speed, great opportunities are coming in great directors want to work with you. Everything on the outside looks like it's going really well, but on the inside you're feeling lost and like nothing matters. Like what does that feel like? Like I've been in this position where I'm working on projects that most people who are trying to get into indie filmmaking would kill for. And I'm sort of balancing this act of like trying to provide for a family and trying to make sure that I'm a good husband and a good father and a good brother and a good son and a whatever, a good friend. And then also like delivering at work. Um, and I feel like what, what's been like, what's been happening to me sort of consistently almost as a pattern as well as this idea that, you know, anytime I have to go away, uh, even if it's for something that, you know, I myself as an individual would think like, this is something that I really want to do. Um, I would project negativity onto the project itself in an attempt at sort of making peace with what's going on at home. So I would like, I would go away 
and carry this immense negativity or this almost disdain for the project, but not because I actually felt that way. It was because I wanted to show my family that I wanted, like, this is difficult for me. It's been this weird balance where like this hate love relationship on both sides where I've sort of created hatred around my work. And there's been like probably three or four different times within like a span of, you know, five or six years in my life where I've legitimately considered quitting and finding a job as a teacher or something just to get myself out of the habit of feeling sorry for myself for being away or feeling sorry for myself for putting myself in a position where I'm sort of self-inflicting these wounds on my family or myself. It's not even to say like a lot of those things aren't even real. When I say like I'm self-inflicting these wounds, like 99% of the time, those things weren't actually happening. Like I was creating them by almost like I manifested them in some ways. Does that make sense? So it's been a, it's been a, like I I I've found it to be an immensely difficult journey because I've I've never been able to be in a space where I've been able to fully enjoy what I'm working on because there's always been this like massive rock sitting on top of my chest, sort of like making me feel like I'm not doing enough somewhere. Are there moments where you have felt joy creating, and if so, like what what's the common denominator there? I think the, the, the joy in creating for me, and this is something that has come out of the last, again, the last 10 years where I've slowly started to figure out number one, my own identity. I've sort of slowly f felt like I've been able to reconnect certain parts of my body. But for me, it's been a, it's this idea of, uh, uh connecting with people. Um, mm -hmm. and again, it's why I, why I started, it's why I fell in love with it and all of a sudden you find yourself in a position where 90% of what you're doing has to do with some kind of like product or a final result. And you're working with people you don't like, or you're working with people that don't care about you. And I sort of made a pretty conscious effort. And it's, I think this is probably the main reason I actually left social media was I was tired of maintaining relationships that weren't meaningful to me. And again, as a human being, who's always been really afraid of burning bridges and really afraid of of coming across as someone that people wouldn't like. I was always like, I, I really wanted to be liked. I got to a point where I had so many relationships that didn't really, they didn't really give me, I was, I was feeding something and taking away from my own life. Um, and being able to essentially eliminate a lot of that. I feel like I've come to this point where now it's not, I don't care if what I'm necessarily, especially within commercials, if it's, if it's trendy or cool, or it has the most money or whatever, it's, it doesn't matter if, if I'm working with people where I can go someplace with someone I, I kind of, or care about and have conversations that are meaningful to me and I can learn something new. And specifically in features again, like it's not to say that I've, I'm, I haven't, like, there's no finish line. I haven't gotten to the top. There's no top. We're all just moving through this, this sort of industry, trying to create good art in some way that says something about who you are. Um, and I feel like if, if I'm now to take four or five, six, seven, eight months of my life away from family or a kid or whatever it is that is meaningful to me, it has to be with human beings that are number one, willing to be vulnerable with me, where we can have the types of conversations that make, makes me grow. Cause again, I've, I, I know what it feels like to not be in touch with those things. Like I, I, I don't want to let myself go back to that place, if that makes sense. So if I can, if I can feel like I'm being stimulated by the people that I'm working with throughout a creative process where I'm getting much more than just a final product, then I'm quite happy to be a part of it. Makes a lot of sense, dude. It's very beautifully said. 
was there a specific point where you sort of had this realization of like, this is how I want to approach filmmaking moving forward? Or has it just been sort of like a trickling effect through therapy and all the self-work that you've been doing over the past few years? It's been a trickling effect where, um, I feel like every, every seven years I've hit a new rock bottom. It sounds so harsh, but it's like, and every single time I've hit this rock bottom, I'm realizing very slowly that the the bottom I've hit is much better than the last rock bottom I hit. So as I'm working through all of my shit, like I'm sort of realizing that it, they're all little stepping stones. Every time I feel humiliated, I feel humiliated, but a little bit stronger at the same time. Do you feel like at this point you've found the love for the craft again? I think I have. Mm-hmm. I think I have. And it's really, it's really hard to know because again, like anytime you feel like you've found the love you thought you had or you have or we didn't have whatever anytime you get back to this place you still have to align with you know 90 other people on set like ideally just a director and a writer or producer whatever it is but i feel more inspired now than before but it's it's mainly because i i think i know what's important to me and what types of things are you currently doing now to prevent yourself from let's say backsliding not working <laughs> no but it's it's uh it, it sounds like a joke but i again like I, I i've had so many awakenings over the last like even two years like these last this last year has been immense for me i did i did this movie called dream scenario uh with christopher borgley last fall in my head everything was going perfectly fine everything was great and we were making the best movie we've ever made um and on day eight my wife calls me and asks for a separation and all of a sudden, like my, again, like my current idea of the construct, like the construct of the family was like sort of pulled apart again. And you, you're always like, I'm essentially, I'm still fucked up. Like I still haven't figured this out and it's still desperately hard and it's still, but I feel like this time for me waking up was different than all the other times waking up. Like it was the first time where I actually think, like, I don't think I, I actually had a healthy praxis mental health and self-care prior to that happening. And I remember coming home from, from that project, like feeling completely defeated because we had a bunch of other problems that were mostly technical, but it's, um, you go from like feeling like you're on a cloud to like nothing in your life actually worked out the way you thought they were going to work out. And I got home, um, and I, and I started, uh, I started obviously was still in therapy. I started meditation. I went to the sauna four times a week. I started skiing again. I did all the, I did all these things that, that were not film related. I barely worked this year. And my whole sort of intention with a lot of things was trying to find elements that would put me in the mindset of like feeling, feeling more, um, and specifically feeling like a child. Like I've always loved this, like idea of uh, feeling like a kid again. Mm-hmm. And even if you're 35 or you're 50 or you whatever, it doesn't matter. Like those feelings still exist if you allow yourself to get there. And I've had, I had so many wild experiences where, you know, little piece by little piece, I feel like I'm like reconstructing myself and removing all these layers of protection that I've always put in place to sort of protect me from myself, if that makes sense. I just find it so mind numbing how as artists, we can create work that is so emotive and expressive while simultaneously being numb to our own emotions. 
I think most people know how to manufacture these feelings. The thing though is, as I'm connecting with new people and as I'm interacting with human beings now, like I can tell if they're fake or not. I can tell if their intentions are real. I can tell if they're coming in it with, I can tell if they're coming into like whatever we're doing together with with some like actual purpose or intent in, in finding something in themselves. And it makes it makes all the difference, at least for me. Um, I feel like, again, like it's, it's very easy to create a beautiful image. It's very easy to create something that manipulatively will make you feel something emotionally. But to do that from a place of like honesty with people feels, it feels better in the process. And if it can mm -hmm. feel better in the process and the result gives you that, then to me, that's more important. So you can sense now if someone's being more authentic, whereas previously what were you thinking before versus now? I think more than anything, it has to do with what you're willing to go into, what you're giving into an, a, a relationship with someone else. Like I, I can work with directors where I know I have, there's no um, emotional or there's no shared vulnerability. There's no, like the, there's not that process. And then I'll shut down. Like I'll, I'll go in, I'll do the work and I'll leave and I'll, I'll spend that, I'll spend that energy someplace else because it doesn't exist there. You know, before I would try to bring that energy into that space to try to create something for myself again, like manufacturing something. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been, it's been mainly kind of like figuring out where to spend that energy and spending the energy in the spaces that give me an equal return. Yeah. It sounds to me like you're validating your own feelings. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. For, for 10 years of my career, I didn't do that myself and you know because I would want to work with this person or whatever the case was and I wasn't listening to my own feelings and coming into that power more the last couple of years it's it's an incredible feeling to trust yourself but that's but that's the whole thing like without validating yourself you don't exist like that's isn't like this is the first step of like finding your like finding yourself, if you acknowledge that, if you acknowledge the fact that you as yourself exists, I didn't even do that. I didn't acknowledge that I existed as myself for the longest time. And from the moment you acknowledge that, Hey, there's a person named Ben, he grew up here and here, and this is what he experienced as a child. And this is what you went through. Like all of that is yourself. From the moment I accepted that that person exists was the moment that my personal journey started. Because until you accept that, until you validate those feelings and where everything comes from, it's impossible to put it anywhere. All of those feelings and emotions show up in your body and it manifests as a physical feeling. And it was when I accepted that that feeling existed and that this thing was in my body that I was able to start working on it personally. What do you think the hardest part of accepting yourself has been? Essentially creating enough time and space in my life to actually do that work. I never thought it was something that was that was important. I never thought that it was something that I need to like actually set time aside for. But I think it's really been realizing that without an actual practice around it, nothing would change. Mm -hmm. And creating I think creating that space for myself. And would you say taking that time off not from working has allowed you to develop some habits or routines? As much as this sounds like it's, it might sound like I've gone through this process for the last like and 12, 13, 14 years, like my, my, the actual, the actual part of working through this, the actual part of like really figuring this out, I think started like 12 months ago, maybe a year and a half was when I really realized 
like I, I have to change something. Mm-hmm. And what has that last like 12 months or year and a half been like for you? Revolutionary. I've always looked at, I've always looked at validating myself through, through relationships and through work. Um, and it's the first time I've, I've, I've sort of come to terms with validating myself through myself and, and sort of falling in love with myself again in a way where I don't, I don't need all these things to feel good. I don't need this job or that job or this person. Like I, if, if I can make myself happy, that should, and I'm, again, I'm not saying I'm done on that path. Like I think that's a lifelong journey in some ways, but that's, that's kind of changed my whole outlook on how, how I think and how I, how I, I am like, it's, it's crazy. And are there any sort of like practical things you'd be willing to share that you've been doing other than therapy? If there are things other than therapy that you think you can take with you when you get back into the rhythm of working more? The second time I went to Chile with Elliot Rausch, I thought I was much better. (laughs) And I remember sitting, we sat at a restaurant at a hotel and he kept telling me like, hey Ben, like, why are you speaking about yourself in the future tense. Like you're always someplace in the future trying to figure something out. And I think it's just this idea of like learning how to be present. And it's, it's still something that I find very difficult, um, because we live in a society that is completely mangled in terms of how our attention is being pulled and used. Um, but this is the first time in my life where I don't have an actual constructed path in front of me. Like I don't have a goal of where I need to be or what I need to do in order to get this done or that done. Like there's nothing. I'm kind of, I found a way at least for now to sort of live in uh, complete uh, isolation in the now <laughs> without really, like I'm not saying like I'm some super present, blah, 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 blah. Like it's still incredibly difficult and I, it's probably going to take me the rest of my life to figure that one out but I've sort of eliminated this need to sort of be someplace. I'm curious how that holds up when you get back in the, in the rhythm of filmmaking. I mean, do you see yourself getting back to a space where you're going from job to job to job? And if so, like, how do you think you can hold on to that perspective? No, I have, I have no desire to do that, to be honest. Like I, I, I think, um, I think we have one of the most privileged jobs on the planet where you can, especially if you also have uh, access to the commercial space where you can go and do a job and whatever that makes you feel or not feel in the moment, like you're making an amount of money that is far superior to 99% of other jobs on the planet. I now know that I need my time off. Like I need space. Um, And then like when you finish, like when you finish a movie coming home from that, like it takes you a month to sort of regain like your idea of what normal life is. Like you've physically moved your entire, your entire life and your entire personality to someplace else. And you've given everything you can physically, emotionally into some, you know, again, into a movie. And then you have to move back home and, and figure shit out again. And it takes a month to get back to norm, like normality. Um, so for me, it's like, even with a commercial, you're living this life that isn't real with these people that, are in your life for a moment or period of time, potentially. So even for, if you're away for a week or two, like it still takes two, three, four, five, six days to readjust. Um, and the older I get, the more time I need. Um, 
and the more I go through this down this process of like really actually figuring out what I want for myself, like I I know that I want like this time off is more valuable to me than anything else at the moment. When you say that the commercial life isn't real, what do you mean by that? You're flying business class here and there. You're living in five star hotels. You're eating food that's ridiculous. It's like it, the conversations you're having are most most often than not very superficial um like that there's very it's very hard to find human connections within that space like i said like i'm i'm trying to hold i'm trying to hold out personally for for jobs where i can work with people that i that i respect already or know to be human beings that i like spending time with if it's for something that doesn't necessarily um give me something creatively at least it gives me something of that on that front what would your ideal working life as a cinematographer look like moving forward the ideal life would be i would make one movie every other year and i would sprinkle some commercials in here and there like i'd say like i'd do six months of work on a feature i'd have a year and a half to two like a year and a half two years between them and i would do like one chunky commercial every two or three months. Do you think that's possible? I do think it's possible, but I, I, I think it's plausible. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's going to be very difficult. And again, like it's really, I think the, the hardest part about this industry is you never know what's around the corner. So you always have to kind of protect yourself in some form or way. Um, you know, maybe you don't get hired for the next six months because there's a strike. Mm-hmm. Well, at least you said it, and we have it recorded. One feature every two years, and commercials sprinkled throughout. So, so I can I can bug you about it. I, I will never I will never go back to um back to back to back commercials. Like I, it, it's not going to happen. I'll find some other form of work that I can sprinkle in between, if anything. But even that to me is kind of uninteresting at the moment. Like I. Even as a DP, I used to walk around like trying to come up with ideas for my own projects in between numbers. Yeah. Like every every waking moment, I would spend like trying to trying to again like figure out what idea I can create to figure like have something else. Mm-hmm. And even that is like I'm it's not interesting anymore. And that's a wrap on episode fourteen. A big thanks to Benjamin for opening up and sharing his story with us. If you resonated with any of Ben's story, you won't be able to connect with him on social because he's smarter than most of us, but you can track him down via his website, loben.com. That's L-O-E-B-B-E-N.com. And lastly, if you're interested in tuning into the community member Q&A that unfolded after Ben and I's conversation, you can join the community via free trial at members.wearevariable.com. That's all I've got for now, but tune in next month for the following episode. Cheers.